Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Guys, we are in 2 Corinthians. We're in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. You guessed it, 2 Corinthians. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. <laughs> Dial it back a bit. 2 Corinthians. And uh, this morning, we're just going to be looking from verse 5 until verse 11. From verse 5 until verse 11. It's a passage of Scripture which is really important to us as a local church. It's a passage which deals with sin. It deals with us. It deals with discipline. It deals with restoration and repentance. It's a passage which is important to how healthy churches and the church throughout all the ages operates. And so we are going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Hear the word of God. Now, if anyone has caused pain... He's caused it not to me, but in some measure, in order not to put it too severely to you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. But anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive indeed. What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So that we would not be outwitted By Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Just so far in the reading of God's word. I don't think I prayed. And so let's pray as we now come to the teaching of his word. Father, I do ask that even as we have now read your word, so too we would understand your word. That our minds would be renewed, our hearts would be stirred, our lives would be transformed we'd be conformed toward the image of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we see in your word this morning, I don't just ask that for us as individuals, people sitting here this morning, but rather, Lord, for us as a body, as a church, that we would be transformed together, that we would Bring much praise and glory to you in terms of how we operate, how we live, how we glorify your majestic name. These things I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. If you're taking notes, I have four points this morning. Each one of the points sounds similar to the others. 
The first point that I would like to bring to you comes from the first verse that we read, verse five, and it's this. The sin of one causes pain to many. The sin of one causes pain to many. Read verse five together with me. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, in order, not to put it too severely, to all of you. Now, I don't think we are soft on sin at Central. We've spoken about sin many times, and we've spoken openly about the consequences of sin. We understand that sin's consequences are serious and far-reaching. Because of sin, every aspect of our being is affected by sin. Because of sin, we are all under the wrath of a holy God who is just. Because of sin, we are destined for eternal separation from God. Because of sin, we will face punishment in hell for all eternity. Sin bears eternal consequences. And we know that sin's consequences are not just eternal. Sin bears temporal consequences consequences too. Because of sin, we suffer. Because of sin, we experience broken relationships. We experience injustice. Because of sin, creation is corrupted. Because of sin, we see iniquity, we see inequality, we see oppression and suffering in our fallen world. Sin's consequences are serious and far-reaching. Sin is so serious, its effects are so far-reaching that the sin of any one of us can affect every one of us. It seems to be what Paul is pointing out in verse 4. Sin can affect the church. Sin can weaken our fellowship. Sin can disrupt our unity. Sin can cause divisions. Sin can create conflicts. Sin can break down trust between brethren. Sin can hinder our love for one another, hinder our support of one another, hinder our cooperation with one another. Sin can wreck our witness to the world. Sin can tarnish our reputation. Sin can undermine our credibility. Sin can hinder spiritual growth and even the vitality of our church. Sin can lead to complacency. Sin can lead to compromise. Sin can rob us of our spiritual fervor. 
And if left unaddressed, sin can become normalized within the local church. Sin can cause us all so much pain. That's what happened at Corinth. Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but turn back just a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Even as you turn there, it's kind of self-evident, right? That 2 Corinthians is a follow-on letter from 1 Corinthians. In actual fact, as we read through 2 Corinthians, it turns out that there was a letter in between that isn't in the canon of Scripture. But in 1 Corinthians, we are introduced to a matter of sin of one individual that ended up weakening the entire local church. And we read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at the first verse and going to the sixth. Paul writes, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And Paul says, Corinthians, you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Sin had crept into the church. But instead of mourning over the sin, instead of sorrowing over the sin, they were tolerating the sin. What they needed to do was cut the gangrene out before it festered. Paul says in verse 4, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved. In the day of the Lord. Paul commanded them to come together and throw the man out of their community. Why so harsh, Paul? Because it was for his good. They said, uh, he he wrote, that, that you were to do this for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved. But it wasn't just for his good, it was for their good too. Verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? It was for their good too to remove the leaven amongst them, lest it permeate through the entire batch and the batch be spoiled. You can imagine that the sin of this one man had caused them pain. The pain that this act of church discipline would have to cause them in order to cut him out. The sin of one causes sorrow to many. That's the first point. The second point is in verse 6. The punishment of, or the punishment by many brings repentance to one. The punishment by many brings repentance to one. Let's read verse 6 so that we have it near to mind. 
the text reads, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. We read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are obligated to seek the spiritual restoration of Christians ensnared by sin. Christians can and Christians do sin. We need help from other Christians to stop sinning. We need spiritually mature Christians to come alongside of us, to walk with us gently and humbly and carefully. Can you see that your sanctification is a communal project? It takes the whole church to disciple strong saints. Spiritually mature Christians can come alongside of us in two ways. The first we might call formative discipline and the second we might call corrective discipline. Formative discipline is preventive. Formative discipline is nurturing. Formative discipline focuses on cultivating a culture of holiness, a culture of discipleship, a culture of spiritual growth within the local church. Formative discipline happens on Sunday during the preaching, and formative discipline happens during the week in small group Bible study. Formative discipline happens over lunch with a mentor or an accountability partner. When you visit the pastor for biblical counseling, formative discipline is happening. Punishment by the majority in our text is corrective discipline. Corrective discipline is the formal process of addressing sin following biblical guidelines. And in order to explain what those biblical guidelines are, I want us to take another close look at a passage of scripture. And so again, keep your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but turn in your Bibles to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. It's the first book of the New Testament. If you hit Genesis, you need to page forward a bit. Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, we, we have a description of this corrective discipline. It's, it's laid out for us by Jesus Christ himself, the procedure that we are to go to in order to address sin by the majority within the context of the local church. And Jesus, beginning at verse 15, says the following. And he, he, he's really answering the question, how are we to deal with sin in the local church? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I mean, really, if a believer is made aware of another's sin, they ought to confront them and call them to repentance. But what happens if he doesn't listen to me? 
Well, Jesus goes on in verse 16. Read together with me. But but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to repent or uh, if they refuse to repent, two or more believers are to confront them and call them to repentance. But what happens if he doesn't listen to us, the the two or three witnesses that went to call our brother or our sister away from sin? What are we then to do? Well, Jesus answers that question in the first half of verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen to those witnesses, are to take it to the whole body of Christ. And collectively, the brethren are to plead with them To repent. But what happens if they don't listen to the church? Well, Matthew chapter 18, the second half of verse 17, gives us the answer. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Finally, if they they still refuse to repent, they are to be put outside of the fellowship, unable to associate, participate, or benefit from the assembly of the saints. Now the question that I have in my mind every time that I come to Matthew chapter 18 is, what sins do we discipline like this? And the answer is we discipline unrepentant sin. Harry's habitual lying. Ursula's and faithfulness toward her spouse. I try to pick names that I didn't think were in the, were in the congregation this morning. <laughs> Paul's persistent thievery. Unati's uncontrollable anger. Umar's unresolved bitterness. Colin's continuing addiction. Pam's persistent slander and gossip. We discipline correctively unrepentant sin it's not about big sins or small sins it's about the sin that we see in our brother's lives and this hurts because it means that we approach and we speak to our family and we speak to our friends and we speak to the people that we get to know within the context of the local congregation at central let me give you an example from our own life the very first person that I baptized I can't explain to you how much joy that brought me. I'd actually brought them to Christ. Um, I had shared the gospel with them. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And a few months later, uh, they went through the waters of baptism. But after a number of years, they stopped attending church. And so I approached them and I spoke to them about, them about that and I explained from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that we must not stop gathering together, assembling together, synagoguing together, especially as we see the day approaching. And they agreed with me, but they didn't come back to church. And so I went back to them uh, with uh, another elder and sat down and explained to them that they were in sin. They were refusing a means of grace which God had given them, coming to church regularly and meeting with God's people. 
They agreed. <laughs> they said, yes, uh, we can see that in the text. We can see that through the whole of the New Testament. Uh, we will come to church. But they didn't. And so after a few months, we took it to the church and asked the church to beg and plead with them to come back to church, to come back to the assembly, to come back to the gathering, the ecclesia. And whilst they said to a couple of people that they would or that they might go and attend another church, they never did. And so one day I had to stand up before the church and ask the church by the majority to put them out of church membership in the church that we were at. I can truthfully say that I cried buckets even at the thought of having to church discipline them. I imagine that for the longest of time, the church discipline hurt me more than it hurt them. But we don't discipline big sins. We don't even discipline small sins. We discipline unrepentant sin because A, we want to win our brother over and B, we don't want leaven to gain a hold within the local church that we serve and that we attend. We discipline unrepentant sin with the hope that the punishment of many brings repentance even to the one. And so that's the second point that we looked at at verse 6. The third point is in verse 7 and in verse 8. Let me tell you what it is. The repentance of one leads to restoration with many. The repentance of one leads to restoration with many. Read, read verse 7 and 8 together with me. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may well be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. At its root, discipline is about restoration. The aim of God's discipline has always been restoration throughout all of Scripture. Now think with me, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were right where God wanted them to be. They were walking and talking face to face with God. But then came discipline. Adam and Eve sinned. They were banished from the garden, away from God's presence. And yet, even in Genesis chapter 3, we read of restoration. The Lord God himself made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And think of Genesis chapter 6. Humanity sinks into vile sin. Then comes discipline. God dis destroys the entire race by flood. Yet in the midst of it, we read of restoration. One family is saved and brought through the flood. From them comes every family that populates the earth. God chose one people from all the nations of the earth to be the apple of his eye. But we read of discipline. Despite staggering works which he performed before their eyes, Israel disbelieved and complained against God after he brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
So God punished them in the wilderness. He condemned an entire generation to die. Yet even in the text, we read of restoration. Their children enter into the promised land and worship Almighty God. But Israel is a stiff-necked people. (laughs) Over the course of hundreds of years, the people persistently rejected God and refused his will, and so God sends discipline. God eventually allowed Israel in the north to be defeated, and he allowed uh, Judah in the south to be taken into captivity. And yet, even in Scripture, we read of restoration. God's people are returned from Babylon to Jerusalem, and the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt. The land is inhabited, and once again, they worship God in it. The aim of God's discipline has always been restoration throughout Scripture. I find this so instructive. Uh, We've been looking at 2 Corinthians 2. We went forward and we looked a little bit at Galatians chapter uh, uh, 5, chapter 6, 5. But but we also went back to Matthew chapter 18. Go back to Matthew chapter 18 with me, just very briefly. We looked from verse 15 onwards, the steps of church discipline, the four steps of church discipline. Go to your brother, take two to your brother, take it to the church. If he still doesn't listen, uh, excommunicate, uh, put him out of the assembly. But what I want you to take a look at is the passage of scripture which comes just before the passage on church discipline. From verse 12 to verse 14, what do you think, Jesus asks, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God pursues strays. God's heart is for his little ones. None of them will fall from his hands. His sheep are important to him. The point of church discipline is restoration. We are to forgive, we are to comfort, and we are to love those who repent. And restoration comes with celebration. Restoration comes with rejoicing. Repentance of one leads to restoration with the many. Last point, it's from verse 9 through to verse 11. And it is this, the forgiveness of one is for the sake of the many. The forgiveness of one is for the sake of the many. Verse 9 reads as follows. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. But anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that you would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Friends, Satan would like nothing better than to scupper the good work which is presently happening at Central. 
Now, he could do that in many ways. I, I hope you pray for your leaders, for your pastors, for your elders, for your deacons, for your Bible study leaders. Because should a leader fall into grievous public sin, it's normal for a church's witness to be weakened. But one of the other schemes of the devil is for a church to be sunk into unforgiveness. To forgive one another on the one hand, is as close as we can get to the divine. I'm reminded of Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. John MacArthur says that there are at least 75 word pictures for forgiveness in the scripture. Here are a few of them. To forgive is to turn a key. To forgive is to open a cell door and let a prisoner walk free. To forgive is to write in large letters across a debt, nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gravel, the gavel in a courtroom and declare not guilty. To forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that it can never be found. To forgive is to take out the garbage and dispose of it. Leaving the house fresh and clean. To forgive is to loose the anchor and set the ship to sail. To forgive is to grant full pardon to a condemned and sentenced criminal. To forgive is to loosen the stranglehold of a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast the wall of graffiti, leaving it looking brand new. And no memory left of what was there. To forgive is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so that it can never be reassembled. Forgiveness is biblical. Paul says that he has forgiven this man for the sake of the church. He wants them to be obedient in everything. They were obedient in disciplining the man out of the church Now they are to meet that obedience by restoring this man back into the church. He is repentant, and so restoration must follow. This is for their own sake. The forgiveness of one is for the sake of the many. So to recap, just four points this morning. The sin of one causes sorrow to many. Friends, church discipline hurts. Punishment by many brings repentance to one. Church discipline is worth it. Repentance of one leads to restoration with the many. Church discipline can end in celebration. The forgiveness of one is for the sake of many. Church discipline glorifies God. A few years ago, that young man that I had led to the Lord, that young man that I had baptized, that young man whom I had been involved in disciplining out of the church, um, gave me a call out of the blue. I didn't even know how he got my number. He wanted to meet with me. He came and met with me, introduced me to his wife and uh, his newborn child, and told me that he had been restored and back to the church. He had repented and was in faithful, committed relationship with the local church. 
to say that my heart sprung with joy is an understatement. Church discipline does hurt, and it hurts us. But when we discipline the one, it is for their sake and for ours that we do it, that we might celebrate the work of Jesus Christ in repentant sinners' lives and in their hearts. Friends, even as I speak this morning, I have no doubt that there are many that are here today that are in various different degrees of rebellion against God. For some of you, your rebellion is as believers and God's discipline, our hope, is upon you because a good father disciplines his children. But if you take anything out of this message this morning, it's this. Repent and come back to God that you might celebrate Jesus Christ and the work which he has done in your life once again. There are others that are here this morning that are in rebellion against God, but you have never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Friend, you don't need to be restored in relationship to us. The first place that you need restoration is in your relationship to Father God in heaven. You see, God is holy. And by rebelling against him, you have separated yourself from him, both temporarily in this life, but eternally in the life to come. The call on your life this morning is to obey. Jesus came into this life and he lived the life that you could never live and he died on a cross as a substitute for your sin, the righteousness of God for the sinfulness of man. The way that you are obedient to this message is that you hear that God raised Jesus from the dead and accepted the punishment, accepted the price that he had paid. Friend, the call to obedience is to repent, to turn from your sin, your love for this world, your love for your own sin, your love for yourself, for your own self-righteousness, whatever it might be, and to turn to the cross of Jesus Christ and live. Do so at once. Do not delay. Come to Jesus Christ today. The application of this message to us as a church is this. Friends, we do need to take sin seriously because throughout God's word, God takes sin seriously. Taking sin seriously means that we make the effort between ourselves. We put ourselves in harm's way or in sorrow's way And we address sin where we see it with one another. And when people do not respond to our calls out of this world of darkness and back into light, we go with with mature Christians to them. You come and you speak to your pastor, you speak to an elder, and you go and you visit your friend again because you want to see them restored to Christ. And friends, if they won't listen to one or listen to two, we take it to the church. And if they won't listen to the church, we do the very hard task of putting them out of the fellowship because the centrality of Jesus and the holiness of God is at stake. Our desire is to worship God in spirit and in truth. And truth demands that we take sin seriously to the glory of Jesus' name. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, I do thank you for your word. It is 
faithful and true and upon it, Lord, we can indeed rest all of life, all of doctrine. It is sufficient for all matters of life. And Lord, it makes strong calls on us to live lives which are completely different to the world. Would you help us, Lord God, to live out our faith in community, the community that you have placed us here at Central, that your name might be glorified in our midst. These things I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.